intends bidding would have in mind taking a seat near the front where they can be seen. And if you hold your card up clearly, because I cannot see fingers, not to speak of arms, against the background of moving people and so forth. So if you are proposing to bid, would you please come fairly near the front where I can see you? And hold up your card so that I can see that you are bidding. Some people are fanning themselves with the card, and I'm not sure whether they're bidding or not. Dot number 211 is an old album. Would someone get the reserve of 30 pounds? Well, would somebody, I, can, I, have, I am empowered to go a little less than that. Would somebody say 25 pounds? Well, any bid. 15 bid. I need a bit more. I need a minute. Would somebody bid a minimum of 20 pounds? can drop the 20 pounds. Any advance from 20? 21? 21? 21 pounds. 22? 22? 22? A revolutionary method of proving that the cost of delivering a message from one part of the country to another had been paid was first put into use in 1840. It was an adhesive label, which soon became known as the postage stamp. And instead of throwing these stamps away after use, millions of people have kept and collected them, studied them, treasured them, and even over the years grown rich through them. They're the basis of a thriving industry, giving jobs to thousands of people, from their printers to the man who eventually auctions them off at a fancy price many years later. But intrinsically, once used in the post, they have only the value that a collector places on them. And there have been collectors since the earliest days, as Bill Kane tells us. Well, I was reading one time in a Gibbons magazine that was a lady in... Uh, she was in uh, part of Kent. And she had her wall papered with penny blacks. She had her wall actually paint papered with penny blacks. You must remember there was millions and millions of those stamps. But people, when in, in, you meet a young boy and he says, oh, I'd love to have a penny black. They think it's a world-famous stamp because it was the first adhesive stamp. But there was millions of them. There was no shortage of them. But they were all destroyed and burned. People didn't bother about it. I think the first recognised collection that I remember was somewhere around 1846. I was reading about a gentleman who had collected so many stamps, and he was plating them with the letters. Every stamp at that time had letters on it. A, 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 B, A, C. That's how the sheet was built up. And second row was B, A, B, 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 C. And he was the first to put them all together and make one page with the full plate, the printing of a stamp. That was in 1846. So they had the philatelic mind at that time even. This was as soon as it became obvious yes. to people in general that, that there, there was were different issue. sorts of stamps and that with, there with were the different one issues stamp. and even different stamps among the, no, the with same the one, issue. With yeah. the one penny black that he could come along and have philatelic study with it by plating them. That's where it started, plating them. Remembering back to the time when I was collecting stamps as a, as a schoolboy, one of the great things that you didn't do was buy stamps. The honourable thing was to build up your collection by swapping but now it seems that most serious collectors have quite a, quite a, a strong orientation towards buying uh, and buying even at auction where you can be bidding against somebody else and that there's an element of 
Valuing your hobby by how much it's worth. Yes, it's tragedy, that is. For the real collector, you should go back to what you said at the beginning, getting your stamps for nothing. Even today, there's collectors who get full enjoyment from the waste paper basket. They get postmarks, they get all the surcharges, they get all the different uh, countries. They can have so much fun for nothing. Well, I started, as a lot of collectors do, as a schoolboy. From Seamus Kearns, a reminiscence that is fairly typical. And have kept it on with a few, not so much periods where I'd given up collecting as where the, the collection was a bit dormant. But um, I always returned to it again in due course when time became a little bit more available or money became a little bit more available, and I've kept it up ever since. It is a time-consuming hobby, of course. Oh, it can be, and, uh, of course, it's like many hobbies. It uses up exactly whatever amount of time you are prepared to give to it. You can give a comparatively small amount of time, or you can make it 24 hours a day, 365 days a, week, a year, if, uh, if you so desire. Similarly, uh, from the financial end, you can spend a couple of pence a week, or you could spend hundreds of pounds a week depending on the individual. Speaking of spending, there does seem to be a, a recurrent thread, recurrent theme with most of the people we've spoken to, that the value of stamps is not just something that's listed in a book. It's, it's something to, to marvel at if you've got them in your collection and grind your teeth out if you haven't. Yes, well, this is true. I think like all collecting hobbies, uh, the desire is to have as complete a collection as possible. Some items necessarily are much more rare than others and consequently cost far more if you want to buy them at market value. And, of course, that's where the attraction of the occasional bargain buy comes in. And uh, collectors will really gloat to a tremendous extent over a bargain buy, whereas if they have to go and pay full market price for a thing, there isn't the same thrill attached. Well, gloat. Well, gloat, well... Probably the the biggest uh, uh, bargain I ever remember getting was on an occasion when I was visiting London at a time when there was an international exhibition on and I considered that it was probably an occasion when there were more Irish collectors in London than there have ever been at any other point in time. And I passed by a dealer's, a stamp dealer's shop and saw a bundle of covers in the window, which didn't look tremendously exciting, but I was going into the shop in any case, and the proprietor produced these covers to me when I asked him if he had anything interesting in Irish, and I was very delighted to find one major rarity in a cover inside it, and uh, three or four other extremely good covers for a price that was ridiculously out of proportion to the market value of the covers in question. But you have to know your onions when you're looking for that sort of thing. You do, of course, because uh, the dealer, it's his business to know stamps. And uh, you are pitting your knowledge against his. And since he is a professional and you are an amateur, the odds are in his favour. But occasionally, uh, particularly in a foreign country, and in this instance, London must be taken as a foreign country, uh, this was a dealer whose specialty was in... Eastern European stamps. He specialised, in fact, in Greek stamps. His knowledge of Irish stamps was obviously not as good as it might have been.
Ian White, apart from being a dealer himself, is also a collector. Basically, all stamp collectors are eccentrics. I mean, anybody who collects a useless bit of paper with a bit of gum on the back of it or cancelled it with a nasty-looking black object on the front of it, you know, he's basically an eccentric. Um, collect, stamp collectors are collecting things that other people would probably throw out in their normal course of, of life. Um, but bring it on to a stage where the, you get this, the serious collector, even even the most serious of, of collectors uh, are eccentric in some ways or others. Uh, to give an example, there's this chap I was talking about one time that um, the fellow who collects used stamps, genuinely used. Now most collectors, when they collect a used stamp, they want a used stamp with a nice, neat, circular date stamp. Uh, they don't care whether the stamp has ever seen proper duty for which it was issued but the this particular fellow he wants the stamp genuinely used on an envelope um, having served the purpose for which it was issued i.e. to prepayment of postage of a particular sort of a particular even. sort even uh, to give an example if he wants a 10 shilling stamp or a 50p stamp used on a parcel because that's where they're normally used and most collectors wouldn't want a parcel used copy because parcels generally have nasty big black postmarks all over them, completely obliterating the stamp, and you can hardly see it. But this fellow wants it. Not only does he want the stamp, but he wants the bit of the parcel so that he can mount that in the thing to show that it was genuinely used on a parcel. Brown wrapping paper. Yeah, or he'll collect, he'll want a 15p stamp, which a normal collector wouldn't mind if it was just cancelled by the post office clerk on an envelope that never even went through the post. This chap wants it used on an envelope to... Australia or America or for wherever that rate of postage applies. So he's one type of eccentric collector. But he, he, he the, the joy in his face, if I produce an envelope dating back 40 years with a two and sixpenny stamp, for instance, there was one cover I got, him, which was a, a, an envelope to Argentina in about 1934 with a two and sixpenny uh, overprint issue of 1922 of Ireland used genuinely to Argentina because the rate for airmail in those days was ferocious and two and six was a lot of money uh, in in those times and it was very rare that one would use airmail to Argentina so he's delighted with this a genuine use of a two and six stamp in 1934 Uh, and as I said he was was in joyous state for about three weeks afterwards you know but um, this is another thing you get a kick as as a dealer you know you, you do get a lot of pleasure out of out of giving a collector something that he likes you know even though we're doing a business deal um that you find something you have a collector who's been searching for years and years for an item and you can share in his joy in supplying him with with that particular thing you know well i see collectors as you know in a four sort of categories uh, there's the, the, the very wealthy uh, investment collector. I heard a few days ago about uh, the, the very rare British Guiana one cent. I think it's only got... I think there is only one of these, uh, but I'm told it's owned by a syndicate of American businessmen. That's got nothing to do with stamp collecting at all. Then uh, there's a second kind, I suppose you could call it speculation an example of this was the um, the time uh, England played the World Cup in uh, in London in 1966, and they issued some stamps about football a few months before. When England uh, won the World Cup, 
they took the cheapest of those stamps, that was the fourpenny one, and overprinted at England Winners. And I believe there were queues all night to buy sheets of this stamp that everybody reckoned was going to bring them a fortune. Of course, it did nothing of the sort because what happened was that everybody had the stamp and eventually they had to unload them, I think probably at a discount, to stamp dealers. And certainly I was able to buy a block of them seven years afterwards at only a few pence over the face value. So you can get your fingers burnt if you do this sort of thing. And the, the third kind of collector is, I suppose, the general collector, although these must be a dying breed because it isn't possible to collect stamps generally anymore. There are too many countries issuing too many stamps and they're all getting too dear. Uh, so all you can do is, is um, you might start off as a youngster, you'll take anything you get and you put them into an album and you've got an album of all the stamps in the world as far as it goes. But if you stay with it, and most kids, of course, don't, if you stay with it, you do have to specialise. Either you pick a country or maybe a couple of countries, or you pick a period, or you pick a theme. If you stay with a country, you may decide that you'll try and cover it for a particular period. Because, for example, somebody might start tomorrow and say, I'm going to collect British stamps from 1840, the penny black. Well, he'd have to be a multimillionaire to do it. Uh, he'd also have to have an awful lot of time to do it. I don't think it's possible. Or he could say, I'm going to collect uh, British stamps of Edward VII with every possible shade of colour and every possible variety and any differences of perforations and all this sort of thing. Or you could stick to modern stamps. Of course, most uh, collectors, well, I won't say most collectors, but a lot of collectors, especially senior collectors, tend to sneer at modern stamps because they're not line engraved, they're service printed. And they're, <laughs> they're often called rubbish <laughs> In fact, some of them are very expensive rubbish, and some of them, oddly enough, have a curious habit of getting very valuable, like the Australian ones that have gone up uh, by leaps and bounds since, uh, since uh, decimalisation. Tony Quigley there with a philosophical view of his fellow collectors. Many young people stop collecting just before it really gets interesting. David Glass didn't. I found um, an old stamp catalogue somewhere or other, and... Um, I started arranging my stamps systematically and I think that's the beginning of a real stamp collector. Once he starts to arrange things and to have some idea of chronology. When, when you're at sea it's very nice to have a hobby and uh, stamps are something that you can take with you because they're very light and also when you're visiting foreign places it's, it's easy to, to buy stamps in those countries and sometimes you can visit stamp dealers too and pick up things that might be cheaper there or easier to get there than they are in Ireland. And uh, it was especially interesting when I went to ports in Britain and um, Canada, the USA, because these are all great stamp collecting countries and uh, there are lots of stamp shops. But um, other countries, for example, in Africa, and um, uh, South America and so forth. Uh, it's not so well developed as it is uh, in um, Europe. It was an accident how I started collecting. Um, my mother was in the intensive care in the Mater Hospital and she was to have some operation and I was very upset about it. And um, we're passing the RDS and we saw Stamp Stampa. Up. So I said, I'd like to go in there. 
And I went in with my husband, and he met somebody he knew there who was a member of the Dublin Stamp Society. So I was invited to go to the meeting. I think it was the following week. And that's how my career in stamp collecting started. <laughs> was your husband a collector? No. Ever? Never. And neither was I. I had a few old albums that were given to me as a child with stamps stuck in with glue and things like that. But he was not a collector. One of the things that we've been told by, by men who collect stamps is that very often they started collecting because other chaps in the class were collecting when they were 8, 9, 10, 11. Was there anything like that at your school? Do you yes, think girls I used to collect them for other people. They were, they were collectors. I, I would collect stamps for them. Well, it was possibly because I was at school in England, but um, my, my stamps were possibly more useful to them. But I had no real inclination to collect stamps myself. And um, I thought I needed a relaxing hobby, and when I went to the meeting, I decided this was going to be my little hobby. And it has been. For how long? For a year now, last November. Alice Fogarty, a recent convert. Bill Kane remembers the indiscriminate collecting he began with in the 20s. In that time you had the printed albums and they had spaces in them. That had been carried down from about 1870 or 1880 when they started to print these albums with the whole world in them. And the boy's ambition was to fill his album, one stamp of every country. And then complete every page. Every page. That's the idea, to fill the book completely. How do you get interested in, in the slightly more complicated varieties of collecting, like making sure you had complete sets of things? Yes, well, you must remember that in that time, the philatelic magazines gave you headlines from a halfpenny to a shilling for the British Commonwealth. That was the popular boy of those days. The tragedy is, the people with knowledge in, in that period of time, they went and bought the half-crown, five shillings, ten shillings, and ten-shilling stamps of British Commonwealth, which now run into hundreds of pounds. The halfpenny to the shilling stamps are so common that they haven't the rateable value in comparison to the other four stamps. The tragedy is the publicity of then times led everyone to buy halfpenny to a shilling, and the scarce ones were the top values that nobody ever bought, which are valuable today. I've been collecting for 30 years now. And what's your age? Well, I'm 35. I started when I was five. My father started me off when I got the mumps. And to keep me occupied in bed, he started bringing home stuff from the waste bins in the office. And uh, I've been collecting ever since. But I've gone beyond the stamps a little bit now. That I've most of it, I've nearly all the Irish stamps, and I collect mainly Ireland and Holland. I... Um, gone into the postal history aspect of it, the pre-stamp and the pre when the British stamps were used in Ireland. And one thing that I, I um, think should be pointed out is that people when they're clearing out attics and that they shouldn't destroy all the old letters and things that they have in the attic. That a lot of these can be quite valuable, not from a monetary point of view, but from the information point of view, that all the records of Irish postal history were destroyed in the fires of the 1916-1922 period and we're piecing up the history of these pre that time purely by what collectors have, what they've seen, what they know to exist and every day somebody's finding something that puts the date a bit further 
forward or backward of something. A lot of these turn up by accident. People die, their stuff is cleared out into a bonfire anywhere. My wife rescued a collection of postcards from a bonfire for me. And when I brought it home, I found that in it there was a postcard that had the earliest known machine postmark of Dublin in it. And is, as far as I know, the earliest known now, which puts a week earlier the date of the arrival of the first machine in <coughs> Dublin. Um, people, I mean, when they are clearing stuff out, I wish that they, of course, they don't know who to get in contact with. I think philatelists are working in the dark a lot. They, they, people don't know that there are the societies and they don't know who to contact. They, the post office can usually help them, the head office, and put them on to somebody. Um, it's just that um, if, they, if they, rather than burn something or throw it out, that it could be quite interesting that a lot of the stuff, 19th century stuff, is... They might think it's common that everybody has it, but the dates of usage or there might be some rare postmark. The stamp itself might be worth nothing, but the postmark on the envelope... Not to, Don't tear the stamp off the envelope, but that the envelope might be worth much more than the stamp, which is usually the case in the early stuff. That's It's the actual usage of the stamp the route it travelled, the postmarks, the town it was posted in, all that sort of thing is... It's still not known what the, the setup in the post office was in the last century. Dublin's had a post office since the end of the 17th century, but there are very few of the examples of the 17th century or very early 18th century around. But they we're still trying to piece together what the setup was at the time, and every little helps. John Lennon's creed occur of the collector-turned-postal historian. He and others like him often rely on their friends and contacts in philatelic societies for these chance discoveries. But they benefit everyone, the societies, according to Brian Dyson. I think that uh, people can benefit, if they're interested in stamps at all, they can benefit from being a, a member of a society. My own experience is, I think, a case in point, because... I don't have a great deal of time or a great deal of money to spend on stamps. And I've been a member of a society for the past five or six years, and I found that although my own collection hasn't really expanded greatly in that time, my philatelic knowledge has increased simply by meeting other collectors and seeing their collections at our regular meetings. I've also found that philatelists are the most friendly people. There's no feeling of being out of things because one's own collection may be modest and one's own knowledge fairly restricted. They're all very friendly, and I find it a great benefit. So you'd recommend it? I would indeed, yes. Yes, I think no matter how uh, near the beginning in collecting a person is, it is useful to join together with other philatelists. Like many other collectors, Tony Byrne started young and later lapsed. In the later years, I just took up the hobby again, joined the society, and well, here I am. You take things very seriously in the stamp collecting business, do you? I wouldn't say very seriously. Just like to get some items. May not be able to afford them, so you've got to try and build up, search around for bargains and things like that, going from one dealer to the other. Do you specialise? 
He has specialised in Irish airmails for slight covers and that. There's a covers that's carried on special flights or inaugural flights for the airlines. Is it a very limited thing, specialising in something like that? There can't be all that many of them, surely. Uh, there's quite a lot of them, but uh, it is very limiting. But you can trace the history, we say, of Irish aviation, the history through from the first flights, the early ones, like around about 1928, up to date. And do, do you do that? I mean... I do that. There are quite a few publications available that you can get, and they give you the background information. From that, then you search through all newspapers for information. You look for covers, possibly with the pilot's signature on it, so that from one particular flight, you may be able to collect about ten covers, all relating to that flight, stages of the journey, and it gives you a background history of it. And this itself can be very interesting and rewarding. Barry Trelfell also started young, but with a slight advantage. Well, my father started, and he passed the collection down to my brother. And the two of us collected stamps. Together? Like, together, yes. Like many children, of course, I pasted them in, instead of using stamp hinges at that time. But... Uh, then I, he went, he lost interest in them, and I uh, kept on, you see, took his, over his collection and carried on. Did I give you a, a collection in rather better condition than your well, own? Well, slightly, yes. <laughs> but it wasn't until, you see, I'm English, actually, and when I came here to Ireland, I started to take it up more seriously then mm. and to specialise. In that case, then, you would probably have been one of the kids in school that other boys That's right, were yes. impressed I'm by and probably, started yes. collecting from. I never lost interest, though, really. At all? No. No, even when I came here, I... Well, of course, in those days, pocket money wasn't very much, so <laughs> obviously I couldn't buy many stamps, but I never lost interest and kept it up. Do you specialise now? I do, yes. I collect a certain group of countries, Switzerland, Australia, Ireland, Great Britain, and one or two others. And why those? Well, specifically, really, more or less to get a, a fairly good collection together than just trying to collect the whole world, because it would be impossible to, unless you were just collecting the odd used stamp here and there, you see, it'd be impossible to collect the whole world. Particularly if you're going for mint stamps. And that's what you are going for, is it? That's what I collect mostly. Totally I do collect used as well, in relation to Ireland and Great Britain. But why those particular countries, though? I mean, you mentioned Switzerland and Australia. Well, the Swiss stamps are really beautiful stamps, to my mind. I like the, the design of them. They're attractive. The printing is good. They don't issue too many. And they appreciate in value. And there we come back to value again. There you come back to value again. Do you anticipate ever selling your collection? No, not really, no. I don't think so. Well, then why does it seem to be 
of so much interest to collectors well, how just, valuable it is. Well, of course, it's like most things these days. I mean, take coins, antiques. I mean, you go in for valuation. Stamps, of course, can be... They can be an investment as well. And you can uh, buy, say, for instance, the classical stamps, the penny black, the twopenny blue, <coughs> several other classical issues of other countries. Even if you are not a collector, you could still make a small profit on them if you kept them. Long enough. Long enough. I mean, take a typical example now of the, the Pound Postal Union Congress, which I know a friend of mine bought in 1958 for eight pounds. It's now selling at about 750 to 800 pounds, which is quite an appreciation. But a, a true collector won't Pardon? be interested in selling. No, a true collector wouldn't be interested in selling. It's his hobby. A little-known fact is that the state is also a stamp collector, and the core of that collection was assembled by a noted nobleman of the last century, as Fred Dixon tells us. Uh, the Duke of Leinster was collecting, well, just about 100 years ago was the time when he was most active, and he was one of the world's leading collectors at a time when only people like himself could afford to indulge to any great extent. And he did build up a very notable collection, though he would not be regarded as an advanced philatelist in the modern sense. He was mainly concerned with getting one example of uh, each stamp from any part of the world, well, one used and one unused, which went into separate albums. When he died, this collection was bequeathed to the Irish nation to be housed in the National Museum. And Dr Lane Joint, who was largely responsible for organising it for display, sent a letter to uh, most of the Polythelic magazines and asking for assistance in filling some of the gaps. And the museum wrote to the postal authorities in other countries and they nearly all uh, came, uh, rose to the occasion, and there were many notable additions to the Duke of Leinster's initial collection. But some of the outstanding rarities uh, came in this way, although uh, naturally most of the, uh, or many of the good things, were there from the Duke's own collection. Incidentally, it was the 1890s that, uh, I forget the exact date that he died, and within a very short time, by 1900, the collection was on display in the museum in beautifully made cabinets with uh, sliding panels, double-sided glass, so that you could mount sheets on both sides. I've mentioned the uh, great rarities that uh, came in. Well, the probably the rarest item is a block of four of a sixpence Edward VII English stamp, overprinted IR official. It was a remarkable circumstance that 
only a few days after these had been distributed, it was decided not to continue the use of such things, and they were withdrawn. And this block of four, which was presented to the uh, National Museum for the Leinster Collection, is the only uh, complete block of four known to exist outside the official archives in London. Only single copies have escaped otherwise, and it's a very, very special treasure. Though it's not as well known as uh, the what's well, usually regarded as the highlight of the uh, Duke's collection is the famous Western Australian stamp with the swan design at the centre inverted. This was on show at the Stamper exhibition uh, last year. And it's a stamp with a particularly fascinating story because it, the, it was first discovered by a man named Pegg living in London. And he wrote to the then leading expert, Dr. Gray, in the British Museum, who replied uh, that he was very interested in seeing it, but he couldn't understand it. Well, that letter still survived with the stamp, and I hope it's still in the National Museum, because it gives a pedigree to the particular item. But we don't know exactly how Mr. Pegg parted with it, but the next known owner was um, Mr. Morris, a teacher in high school, Dublin. And a young man named Vance had seen it in Mr. Morris's collection, and he told the Duke of Leinster about it, and the Duke authorised him to go up to three pounds to buy it. Mr. Vance, being fairly smart, managed to get it for two pounds, and the Duke um, gave him a few of his duplicate stamps as well as the three pounds. But um, another fascinating aspect of the story is that although he had paid so much for it, and it was very special, the Duke, at the time of his death, had agreed to exchange it for £70 worth of um, another man's uh, stamps, another collector. And when the Dr Lane Joint was taking over the albums uh, for the museum, uh, this Western Australian stamp could not be found. It wasn't in either of the two albums. But it did turn up in a pile of papers with the correspondence with the other collector. And so it was put back in its place. It's marvellous what stories there can be about such stamps. And about such collectors. Yes. Though we don't know very much about this is the sixth Duke of Leinster, and I don't know anything else about him except that he was a very notable uh, stamp collector. And um, he hobnobbed uh, that the... Now, where he had a talk with this uh, young man, Vance, was in a stationer's shop, I think, in Grafton Street, where there was one part of the counter was devoted to uh, stamps. And then, as now, there was a um, very pleasant camaraderie in the stamp shop that uh, everybody chatted. And it was quite a meeting place, whether it was lunchtime, I, I don't know, it was just... But it, apparently, uh, everybody gathered. And, and it didn't matter who you were. Really. didn't matter who you were. The Duke rubbed shoulders with schoolboys. Though, I say, schoolboys couldn't afford to buy many stamps in those days. It was quite a windfall for young Mr. Vance. Yes. I don't know what happened to him. His, uh, his name uh, is in history only just the once. 
Other collectors, like Dermot O'Kelly, are trying to create at least a family tradition of collecting. I have tried to get my children interested in stamp collecting while they were quite young by starting them off on a country each. Uh, the case of two of them, this fell through, but I have four sons. Uh, these four sons, the eldest one, got interested. I started them off on a collection. I helped them build up a collection of uh, a country as well as Ireland. He became interested in that and built it up himself considerably and then his interest changed that he changed his interest to a new country and eventually was able to build that up quite successfully by selling the previous country which the he lost interest one, yeah. in, the original one uh, a second son has no interest at all in it and the third son has no interest but the fourth son has my eldest son has actually uh, taken it up as his profession. One of the ways of encouraging young collectors in their enthusiasm, as Tony Finn points out, is the National Stamp Exhibition, Stampa. I was the, the Assistant Secretary of the, the Stamp Exhibition there last year. Um, the, the National Stamp Exhibition is um, held every year, um, each November, um, and it has been held since, since 1972. Um, the, the, the object of the exhibition is to, is to promote interest in philately in Ireland. Um, with that in mind, we, um, we provide a display of stamps. Um, we have a number of dealers who are involved each year. Um, last year, actually, we had a very good attendance of dealers, um, nearly 20, um, some of whom had come from um, England and the United States. Um, and the Irish Post Office also are involved and they give us very generous support each year. Is it the sort of exhibition that really attracts, let's say, young people? Yes, very much so. Um, actually, the number of young collectors we get at the exhibition each year is, is quite outstanding. Um, a lot of schools around the country um, now have their own stamp societies or stamp clubs, and um, the stamp exhibition has, um, as it were, become a day out for them. Um, and this year, out of an attendance of about 4,000 people at the exhibition, um, almost 1,000 of those were young stamp collectors. And on a senior level, the few philatelic societies in Ireland are trying to foster organisational growth. David Rose. Our main object in the Federation is to uh, form other societies in other towns to help them to get the idea of society by inviting them up to our meetings and going down to their meetings. But in the world of international philately, I mean, in England, one county would have a hundred societies. And um, every country in the world has a federation, and they affiliate to the FIP, the Fédération Internationale de Philately, which is now 50 years old. And uh, one day we hope that Ireland will be able to, federate, uh, to affiliate to that uh, federation as well. But our main, main object is philately in Ireland, and not abroad. But Ireland must have an outward-looking... Uh, approached actually as well. Not only on the no. part of uh, the sales of stamps for no. the post office, no. but also on the part of collectors. Uh, collectors and exhibiting internationally. You see, there have been Irish winners of gold and silver medals abroad, but not so much in the last few years. A further development on the official side 
would be a national postal museum, as Fred Dixon advocates. There's no doubt there's widespread feeling in philatelic circles that there should be a national postal museum. What would be the value of, of a national postal museum? Well, it would be, for one thing, a tourist attraction. Uh, that throughout the world, stamp collecting, philately, are still growing hobbies of um, tremendous interest and, of course, uh, considerable educational value, although that's a point that I don't think needs to be stressed too much. But um, Ireland, unfortunately, has rather a wet climate, and when tourists come here, they definitely need something to do on wet afternoons and wet mornings. And museums should be far more numerous and diversified than they are at present. And as is uh, evidenced in various countries, there's tremendous interest in something specialised, like a postal museum or a ceramics museum or a glass museum. Each um, subject can be treated separately. And the um, postal museum... Well, it could be a little wider than that. For example, stamps include not only posted stamps, but revenue stamps. And the early Irish revenue stamps were magnificently engraved, you know, dies for embossing into the parchments. And we have a wealth of um, fascinating material in that field. And for postal material, certainly you can go right back to the 17th century. A huge range. Which so this, is, this would be before the stamp? The sort of before the adhesive stamp, be. yes. And a well-mounted and explained display of such material is a value not only of interest to collectors, but to students of, e of uh, economic history, social history. One can clearly get into very deep water indeed, simply by starting to collect those little sticky bits of paper which, as Ian White said, most people would throw away. Fundamentally, though, it's a hobby, a pastime, an enjoyment, and this is what continues to attract even the most serious collectors. Personally, I think a hobby should be for personal enjoyment. If at the end of the line, when you decide you finish with your hobby and you can relinquish it and make a profit on it, that's the happy circumstance. But to collect for the sole purpose of making X pounds at the end of a period of time, that's not good, and that's not a, a real philatelist's outlook at all. He gets the personal enjoyment from his outlay, and if at the end of the time he sells it with a small profit, he's a happy man. <laughs> 